All right, guys, welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast. Uh, as I said with Trent earlier, we were sitting here outside the 18th Green at Rams Hill. And uh, what a treat. I have Harry Turner with us, the general manager of the property here today. We went out there. We played today. Harry, tell us, tell us how great it is to have this view as an office every day. You know, it, it, a smart guy told me one time that everybody's got to be somewhere. This is a pretty good spot. This is the place uh, to be, ain't it, it? This is the place to be. It, it's... Uh, it's a beautiful view. The, the the long views at Ramps Hill and uh, and all of Borrego Springs are pretty spectacular. Yeah, there's something to be said about the way you know you said all of Borrego Springs has some views. I feel like Rams Hill really puts you in a in a picture sometimes of, of these unending views. No, no question. Our, our patio dining uh, is just a, a super popular spot. Uh, because of that we're we're a little higher than the rest of the town and so we you know we look down on uh, uh over the valley and into the town and up into the, the surrounding mountains it's, it's just gorgeous absolutely um so my first time here was back in 2014 obviously excited to be back here let us know about the property a little bit how long has rams hill been here well rams hill has been around uh, you know i first heard of rams hill back in the early 80s uh, when, when it was uh, first developed, but Rams Hill has gone through several different iterations. Uh, it's gone through many owners. Uh, it's, it's gone, it's had its ups and its downs, and, and uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, its most recent uh, downturn in the 2008 through 2010 mm-hmm. kind of real estate crash has created an opportunity for, you know, Terry Considine and, and our current owner uh, to do something really special here. Yeah, so talk us through that. When when did the Tom Fazio redesign kind of take place and, and first open? Well, the, the, the Tom Fazio redesign uh, was uh, a project of the previous owner. Okay. And, uh, you know, as they say in real estate, uh, it's either location, 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 or it's timing, timing, timing. Mm-hmm. And I think he had the location part uh, right. But he, uh, unfortunately, he came in and, and uh, did a lot of this work in the 2007, uh, late 2006, 2007, 2008, when the market just went, you know, south in a mm-hmm. hurry. And um, unfortunately, right after he opened uh, the, the, the Fazio redesign, uh, you know, the market turned. And so uh, he held on for as long as he could. But um, when uh, uh, Mr. Considine purchased the property, it was in total disarray. And golf course had been brown and, and mm. uh, dormant for many, you know, for several years. Uh, the ponds had dried up. The, the water had, had gone away. The water, the wells had been sold. Trees broken mm. everywhere. Uh, it just, uh, it, it was a mess. And, and so... Uh, he took on that, uh, that I don't know if, if uh, uh, he, he knew how difficult the challenge would be, but he took the challenge on head on, and I think it's now become an opportunity. And if, uh, if Rams Hill uh, is, is going to see uh, Mr. Considine's vision uh, to fruition, it's really going to be something special. But as, as you may know, part of our ongoing plan is to build a second golf course. And one of the things that uh, 
I had an idea rolling around in my head for several years that there has to be a grass that uh, can grow in a desert climate and not go dormant. Mm-hmm. So as, as you probably are aware, uh, currently our, our base grass, as is all the different base grasses in the Coachella Valley, uh, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Las Vegas, is Bermuda grass. And, mm-hmm. and each fall you have to, to uh, chemically induce the Bermuda grass to go into dormancy. Then you plant ryegrass. That takes four or five weeks to, mm-hmm. to, to be playable. And you lose a maybe the best month of the year because you're waiting for that ryegrass to, sure. to, to grow in. We've I was introduced to to uh, uh, several types of zoysia grass uh, a few years ago, and it seems like Borrego Springs might be the perfect climate to try that that grass, and it, it's being used in many areas. Uh, as, as turf grass for golf courses is becoming a pretty pretty popular grass. But uh, it, it appears that our climate here is temperate enough that it will not go dormant and lose all of its color, and it will thrive in, in uh, the hot weather. But one of the real benefits uh, to, to it, other than not having to overseed, is it uses about 20 25% less water. Hmm. And in an area that is has to be water conscious that's a big deal and we're we're excited about that i've uh, been allowed to to plant uh, currently we've got uh, three different varieties growing out here in test plots and uh, they have been for about two years and they uh, they they seem to be proving out that that point so uh, when we do start the the second golf course it's going to be in a lynx style uh of you know much like even though it's inland but mm-hmm. but much like mammoth dunes sure. um in, in the courses at sand valley uh, david mcclay kid has been here we've had discussions with him and um so if we can find a surface that can play firm and fast which zoysia does uh, it, it uses less water which it does it uses less chemicals uh, than the Bermuda grass and rye grass, and uh, doesn't go dormant. Uh, that that would make uh, Rams Hill have the ability to be a, a, a you know twelve month golf destination, which sure we we hope to be one day. Boy, that's incredible! I love that you know you guys are kind of pushing the limits of what's possible in that you know turf grass management industry. Um, you know, you mentioned using less water too. Um, it, it amazed me, and I and I kind of curious as to what the answer to this question may be do you guys recycle the water that runs through this property because it seems like you guys have a lot of running water um sort of coming from nowhere and is it is it the wells or is it recycled well the 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 initial source is the wells mm-hmm. but all of our waterfalls if that's what you're speaking Absolutely. of recycle yep. beautiful I love that. Um, it, it definitely it, it turns an extra notch of, of I think just class when when those waterfalls are really going and it, it, it pumps up the uh, the beauty of the property too. And, and the uh, pumps on all those water waterfalls are powered by solar. 
Awesome. So cool. just a full end cycle of, of sustainability. That's really incredible. Um, something else you mentioned there, the second course, obviously you guys are testing and moving for. Um, I see remnants, uh, if you really look out kind of far enough, of an old golf course, a green right. here, some bunkering there. Um, is there any thoughts of, of kind of bringing back maybe you said, I know you said the link style, but bringing back some of those older I guess you could call them fossils of golf courses that are currently out there. I don't know. You know, we've talked a little bit about that because I think there's a there's a cool element to, mm-hmm. to, the, to that. Uh, a lot of people who come here uh, really have an interest in in the uh, the, the discovery of of lost holes, if you will. Sure. Um, you know, it's a little early to tell whether or not we will be able to use. Uh, much of that the the second golf course is planned to be in that area and and so uh, you know there's a possibility awesome well that's exciting i know uh when we played out there today i kind of picked and picked and saw a little piece here and a little piece there and it was cool to me you know uh, i'm one of those people who loves to see you know the the all the fossils maybe turn back you know sure. turn back the time a little bit so that's really exciting to hear and um, I think a property like this to it be in talks of adding a second course obviously down the road um, is something that we as golf fans can definitely look forward to well you know we we um, uh, took a trip a couple of summers ago and Mr. Considine is not a golfer uh, so it was a it was quite a um, um, interesting trip for him I, I think he learned a lot but uh, we we took a, not quite a week but we left here and we went to Bandon Dunes uh, we went to uh, Gamble Sands which mm-hmm. is in eastern Washington if you know, know that property uh, then flew to the Prairie Club in Valentine Nebraska yep. uh, from from there we went to uh, back north and, and went to sand valley in wisconsin beautiful and then over to forest uh, dunes in northern michigan all of those those wonderful uh, uh golf courses and destinations uh, have have a lot of things in common one they're around very small communities like borrego springs mm-hmm. brewster washington band in oregon sure. valentine nebraska uh, Ross Common, uh, Michigan, and um, they all have great golf—not good golf, but mm-hmm. great golf—and they all have multiple offerings. Uh, with the exception of, of Gamble Sands, which is now uh, the, this coming season will will open the uh, uh, short course that David Kidd uh, uh, built, and they have plans for another uh, 18 holes as well. So mm-hmm. that. At some point, they will have their lodging, uh, two 18 holes of, of, of golf, or 36 holes of golf, and uh, the short course, which I think is a 14-hole short course. Beautiful. Uh, but the, the thing that we have that none of those other courses will ever be able to have, we can add another golf course, which we plan to do. Uh, we can add a short course, which we plan to do. But they can't n- – none of those others can add – uh, the proximity of 25 million people within a three-hour drive <laughs> that we have. And so that that's something that we believe is a key to the success of, of Rams Hill because it is so easily accessible for 25 million people. Sure. 
Yeah, that's that's massive. And, and, you know, talking to those 25 million people, you guys have constantly already with this beautiful one course you have been rated top in the Southern California area. Um, I'm imagining when those courses come to fruition, they'll be just in the same company. Um, so that's really exciting to hear um, that those plans are kind of out there and starting to, as you say, test plots in the making um, are starting to see a little bit of fruition. And, um, you know, if we were to put a timetable on it, what would even be the the outlook on a, on a groundbreaking project like that? Well, we already have zoning. Uh, which is a, a big advantage, mm -hmm. uh, especially in California. Uh, so that's a hurdle that we don't have to, to, to get over. Uh, but we, we still, uh, as, as we're going through some planning for the other components of, mm -hmm. the, of the property, uh, we're working with the county right now on, on some things. But I would hope that this time next year for sure that we've at least made an announcement as to uh, uh, choosing uh, the choosing of an architect, mm -hmm. uh, the the date of groundbreaking if ground had has not already been broken. Sure. So I I can see that coming you know sooner rather than later. Um, I uh, I hate to put a timetable on it, Absolutely. but certainly in the next uh, uh, twelve to eighteen months we should have a, a much much better idea as as to when we will get started if we can't start uh, within that time frame. sure time frame. no that's uh that's exciting stuff i know 2020 threw a curveball to everybody as far as planning and whatnot so uh like you said it's always tough to put a timetable and things like that you don't know what the future holds but um you mentioned lodging and you know how can folks come out to this borrego springs area and, and experience rams hill for themselves well uh you know going to our website ramshill.com there, there's all kinds of information as to you know how to book uh, just a, a, a one-day round of golf mm -hmm. you know for a foursome. Uh, there's also information uh, on our sales team. Uh, we we uh, uh, have arrangements with local hotels in the in the valley here as well as we have our own home that we we rent. Uh, we have four, five, six other homes within the community that are in a rental pool that we manage. And we put uh, custom stay and play packages together, based on what the um, uh, what the group wants. It, it could be uh, four buddies, eight buddies, uh, two buddies, mm -hmm. and we can uh, uh, we, we have a, a we have accommodations for all of that. Awesome. No, that's exciting. Um, I know we were lucky enough to kind of just be driving through today, so um, not not too. Uh, it's unfortunate, I guess, we don't get to stay in one of your properties and truly get the full overnight experience here. But uh, I can tell you what, from just being out here and, and the uh, the hospitality is by far some of the best in, in the country, I believe. So, uh, Harry, I appreciate the time today. Uh, we'd, guys. we'd love to have you guys come back and, and, and really experience, you know, the full breadth of, of uh, Rams Hill. And, and to do that, you know, bring four guys, bring eight guys. Come stay in one of our properties. Let us show you uh, – um, how we treat uh, treat our guests. The golf course speaks for itself. Um, I I can't uh, thank Mr. Fazio enough for for creating uh, what he's what he's created here. I mean, it's it's just spectacular. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think between our listeners and ourselves, we can we might be able to find those four or eight guys to to fill those spots next time we come out. So, guys, uh, Harry Turner, general manager of Rams Hill Golf Club. Epic 
guests today. We've uh, we've we've met each other, I think, on Clubhouse is kind of how we really first crossed paths. And I want to plug that first uh, and how we kind of intro into this. If you guys don't have Clubhouse, get Clubhouse and join our chats, whether it's Alejandra's and uh, Lauren Elias' uh, happy hour or if it's our noon daily show, come join. But happy to have Alejandra Schneider on the show. Thank you for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> It's our pleasure. Uh, it's it's something where it kind of caught my eye. I think we followed you before we met on Clubhouse, but just your journey within the game of, of starting kind of really late in life. And I think what is so profound is the abilities out there for everyone to start as late as you did and really fall in love with the game. And, you know, I kind of want to really focus on that today of, of how did you first get really introduced to the game and, and where have you gone since? Well, I began playing golf when I was 30. And um, I'm going to be 39 in May. So I've been playing golf for almost nine years. And it was just one of those things that I wanted to try something new. And before I started playing golf, I was, um, I'm a master scuba diver. And so my passion is actually scuba diving. And I just wanted to try something new, something that I could um, play with uh, or be close to with my ex-husband at the time. And um and so I took a year worth of lessons and I think I was taking one or two lessons a month and I just was a range rat for a year. And that's kind of how I began my golf journey. So you got started all on your own. Um, it, it's really impressive. And I think another thing that I think wows a lot of people is just that being a woman in the game, getting started on your own. T t talk us through that like perspective of kind of getting started in, as a woman in the game. You know, how was that to start to find your way? It Being a woman in a sport that's male dominant is very, very difficult, uh, especially because you're so concerned with what men are thinking when they're seeing you hit a ball, when you, especially when you're not any good in the beginning, you're very concerned about what people are thinking. Uh, and then the other thing is other women judging you, which is probably the hardest thing. Uh, you don't know what to wear. You don't know where to shop. And that's something that's very important for us women. <laughs> we want to look good. Uh, and so obviously nine years ago, I'm a lot, I was a lot younger, a lot fitter. And so, you know, I'm, I went to the golf course with very sexy clothes. My boobs were showing a lot more legs. So obviously that got a lot of attention in the beginning. And then eventually as I kind of grew in the game, I started realizing that I could dress more modestly and still be sexy. And, um, but it's, it's been a little challenging as a woman, but I love a challenge and what's rewarding is being able to now beat the guys. Well, let's talk through that because I think that's the best part of it. You're almost scratched now, which is just incredible. Mm -hmm. um, it, and I mean, it, I, I call nine years, nine short years, because they do fly by. Um, mm -hmm. You went from, I think you mentioned, you know, on our clubhouse chats, something around 40 to close 40. to scratch. Um, mm -hmm. Take us through that journey. You know, what was that grind? Like, I'm going to call it a grind because it's golf and it's a grind to get to scratch. It was really funny because I did not know anything about golf. I mean, I grew up really poor and uh, I'm originally from Mexico. So I, I, I'm a Mexican immigrant. Uh, and so golf wasn't something that I ever dreamed of or ever saw. It was not part of my life until when I was 27, 
no, actually when I was close to 30 is when I started noticing, learning more about golf, uh, but I was still not interested. And I mean, I began with very, with no knowledge of the game. Uh, I remember being in, on a plane and my ex-husband's trying to teach me the sc scoring. And he's like, what, what, do you, what do you call if you make a four on a par four? And I'm like, oh my God, um, I don't know, bogey, <laughs> birdie. And he's like, no, it's a par or even, or, you know, and so just teaching me those things. <laughs> That's that. such a relatable conversation between <laughs> any guy who loves playing golf and like a new girlfriend or a new woman in his life. That's such a relatable conversation. Yeah, that, that is facts. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's me right there. I had to. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Having to explain that from the guy's point of view, it's kind of funny hearing it from your point of view. Cause I'm telling, mm -hmm. I had to teach my girlfriend kind of like the concept of the game. She understood the game, right. but at the same time, she's like, what? What do you call? I'm like, yeah, like I came in at birdie this hole, and, da, da, da. and she's like, "What are you talking about? I, you're making no sense." But <laughs> she's getting it now, so she's starting to figure it out. So, <laughs> so when I talk to her about my round, she she just nods her head, understands what I'm talking about. But other than that, she's just like, "Yeah, okay." So, how did that <laughs> pique awesome. your interest then? You know, you, you were having those conversations, you were trying to catch on, um, and then you caught the bug. Where, where was that bug? You know, how did you really get addicted to what is now, I think, a true passion of yours? Uh, I think I got addicted to the game maybe like six months into it. Uh, I think just the challenge of the game in itself, uh, the fact that this little white ball is just sitting there and you can't hit it. I mean, you're like, you tough it, you shank it, you skull it, you worm burn it. <laughs> and I still do that. <laughs> and so, and then it's the mental aspect of the game. Once I started getting into tournaments, and I mean, it was really funny because I started getting into tournaments about two years of playing golf. And I was like a 20 something handicap. And I remember I was really nervous and I had a caddy and the caddy's like, all we have to do is make bogey on this hole. <laughs> so he's like, because you get a stroke or two strokes. <laughs> and so the goal was always making bogey. <laughs> you know, I have those people that started with me from day one and they've seen my progress. And that's been so much fun to just be able to see my progress and see how my swing has developed and I mean I have a video where I show my swing and it just like it looks so bad from like day one obviously you don't know how to swing a club to like now and you know some people stay in that swing for the rest of their life and that's totally fine they're happy with that but I unfortunately I was never happy and I'm still not happy <laughs> well I know I I remember hearing you say a couple times on those clubhouse chats you're you're quite the perfectionist when it comes to the the aesthetics of your swing uh you know how did that drive you the aesthetics and is still driving you to become better um and really focus in on you know becoming a true scratch or even a plus handicap in the future and I think that's very important for someone that really wants to improve in the game of golf you almost have to be a little bit of a perfectionist I don't think if you, if you, if you're not, then you kind of stay, like I said, with the same swing for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Um, because I, I noticed that a lot of amateurs, they, they want to be better, but they don't practice or they don't get lessons. And 
Um, and so I'll, I always make, I always give people advice telling them, listen, you want to become better. This is how I become better. This is how I've improved my golf game. And I remember my first swing coach and I love him to death, uh, Jim Delaney from Southern Highlands lefty. And after like two or three years of working with him, I remember I went to one of my lessons with him and I said, you know, I'm having trouble with this. This doesn't look right. And he's like, your, your swing is perfect. And I remember looking at the golf channel and I'm like, my swing does not look anything like Tiger Woods. (laughs) 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 And that's when I decided to, to leave him. And I never had that intention of leaving him because I love him, but I'm like, this is time. It's time for me to move on. And then I went to my second swing coach and then eventually uh, my third swing coach and he's helped me out a ton. And I'm to the point where I know my swing. I know what the swing is supposed to look like. And I work on it daily. And, you know, obviously everybody's swing looks different and it doesn't have to look like Tiger Woods. I mean, look at Matthew Wolf, John Daly. Uh, I mean, there's so many golfers that are long and across and it's just, it really all, all that matters is what happens when you're hitting the ball, you know? It's incredible. You can go down the leaderboard each and every week and, and there's no two swings that look the same. And I think that's the best part about not only the tour, but as, especially as you start flooding through Instagram, uh, a lot of these quote unquote influencers all have different swings and that's the beauty of the game. Um, and like you said, though, it drives a little bit of perfectionist in us all. I think when we're all trying to, you know, Dante can, I think attest to this too. He's always working on the perfect swing playing, the perfect takeaway. Um, we, we have to have a little crazy perfectionist in us to drive that's us better. That's because I'm game. also a perfectionist perfectionist i mean what can i say but same thing is you know i I guess you can say i started the game like i've I've played the game like my entire life but i didn't start playing the game like like you have into learning the swing learning the game itself learning the score and just understanding the whole concept of golf i just kind of just hacked it around my dad here and there and did a couple camps but it wasn't until maybe I don't know, six years ago to where I really decided I'm going to dive into this and, and try to build a craft out of it. And I'm just constantly like, I mean, that's just me wanting, like, I mean, I know there is no perfect swing, but it's, I kind of bounce back and forth between, yeah, there's the swing your swing mentality, because at the end of the day, it's about what the end, end, goal, end goal is with the number. But at the same time, there's also a part of me that's like, I want to, I want perfect. I want perfection. Right. You're saying that's, that's like, and I think that's what the beauty of the game is all about. And I think that's what keeps everybody coming back is that there is no perfect, but you want to achieve perfect. Right. And I mean, it makes it difficult for somebody that has a social media following because I'm posting my golf swing and everybody's criticizing it. And I don't mind the critique. What I mind is when they're giving me swing advice and I already know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I mean, I want to just like crawl in their computer and say, listen, if I could fix it, like tomorrow I would. Okay. <laughs> well, and the best, the best critics are always your high handicappers, your non PGA certified, uh, oh, you know, God. instructors. Those are the best uh, that always find their, find their ways into the Instagram mm-hmm. comments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you challenge them to a money match and then at the, at the end of 18, when they're pulling out the checkbook paying you, I think they'll shut up. Oh, absolutely. 
I know. That's that's the way to do it. That's the Let's way dive into it. that a little more because I've heard a little bit of fieriness from you come out. Um, now that you're almost scratched or pretty much scratched, um, how how fun is it to go and compete, you know, like with you said when you when you first jumped on with the boys, with the guys, um, and, and take some money from, from these guys that might have little loud mouths? Yes, and um, they love playing golf with me because I trash talk a lot. And I'll play from any of the tees that they want me to play. Um, so, you know, if, if they want strokes, I'll give them strokes, but I'm like, I'm playing from the ladies tees <laughs> and they get upset. <laughs> I'm like, I am a woman, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they get so mad and it, it's just awesome. Uh, I love competing against guys and just because they have such big egos and, and it's so funny because it's only a matter of time before, before they, they hit a tee shot out of bounds because they want to just bomb it. And, 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 and that's, that's the problem with guys. They just want to bomb drives and it's like, okay, I'll see you on the green. We'll see. Well, Cause there's no chance they're going to let you out drive them. Not with their ego. Right. And I mean, I only hit my driver 20, uh, 230, 240, but the thing is I'm down the middle consistently you know, and they want to outdrive me. And, and it's like, okay, um, I'll see you on the green because I know you can't chip and putt. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I got to ask, you know, what is, what is maybe the most money you you've ran a guy for out, out on the golf course or, or is that uh, up still up for discussion? <laughs> um, I don't, they, they, I mean, I've, I think the most I've I've made from a from competing against a guy is two hundred dollars. Um, I don't try to you know have a big money game. I mean I can, but you know it's just it's mostly just for fun and just kind of like for pride. <laughs> for ego you know i see that i feel like even if you take a dollar um it's still like hey i got your dollar <laughs> oh totally totally um as a matter of fact uh i was playing golf with shane victor victorino and we and we uh <laughs> we only uh did it for a dollar and he's still pissed about the dollar <laughs> he's like <laughs> i feel like sometimes the dollar hits harder than the 200 dollars. <laughs> it's because it's so petty <laughs> i know uh that's 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 hilarious I, I think you're right there Dalton because I I think you know that that dollar bet right there is like wow really we're playing for a dollar but like you said it's the pride aspect of it right right mainly. and I mean it's like I, mean, I beat you I love but... taking guys money yeah I love taking their money so you know they say hey a hundred dollars for the front back overall I'm totally fine with that I don't care I think they're kind of afraid and they know that I have a, I'm always posting on my social media. He lost. I'm going to have like a loser's <laughs> locker room, just like um, Patrick Cody. <laughs> I love it. You, you need to have the names. These are the wall. losers. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, you know, talking about that Instagram following too, it seems like you've been able to travel a lot of really incredible places within the golf industry. Um, you know, what might be one of your favorite trips that you've been able to take, um, you know, since you've really dove into the world of golf? I've been very fortunate to be able to golf some beautiful golf courses. And uh, obviously now that I'm a better player, I'm looking forward to golfing some more incredible golf courses. And 
really looking forward to that. But um, my all-time favorites, um, I did get the opportunity to golf Cypress Point, and I did that uh, two years ago, and that was incredible. I mean, it was an amazing walk and just a dream come true. The only problem was <laughs> the greens were punched, sanded, and wet. <laughs> like a heartbreaker that's just like that's that's a that's a bad dream is what that is you get to the place where you where you wanted to be forever and it just sprinkles a little not so good in there i'm telling you i actually was playing really good i was hitting the ball solid but then when it came to the green it was like a mud ball <laughs> <laughs> and i was three and four putting and i'm like you know forget it i'm here doesn't matter I don't give a shit about the score. I think I shot like mid eighties because it was, everything was a three and four putt. So <laughs> well, I tell you what, I don't know if there's anything worse than bad greens, no matter where you go. I think that's the one thing that always for me makes or breaks a great experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and obviously I've been able to golf pebbles several times and uh, abandoned dunes. I love abandoned dunes. I've been there twice and really enjoy uh, that golf course. I've never heard a bad word out of anyone's mouth about Bandon. Um, and mm -hmm. I've actually kind of heard the same uh, that what you just said. They don't just go once. They go two, three, four times. Yes. Um, it's that good of a property. I know. It's beautiful. Um, the only problem for me is I have a bone condition. And walking is probably one of the worst things that, can, that, I, that I can do. And so um, the first year that I went, which was maybe like four or five years ago, and I wasn't really sure about my condition and what I had yet. And I remember that the caddies were almost going to carry me because I couldn't finish. I couldn't finish playing and I also couldn't walk. And when I went back the two years later, I, I, I had to have a handicap and, um, and I got a handicap um, sticker and gave it to the golf course. And so I was able to get on a golf cart. But what was funny is because people don't realize that I have a handicap uh, and they see that I'm fit and thin. And so people were making fun and saying, how did Miss Fitness USA <laughs> get a car? It's but a little, little truth that there's always a little bit more than behind, you know, what's, what's on the front cover. Uh, there's always a little bit more right. behind the scenes. Right. So um, even with the card, it was still kind of, it was difficult for me. I was still in, in a lot of pain playing and I still wasn't able to finish some of the holes, but you know, that's something that I have to live with and just being out on the golf course and enjoying just the beauty of abandoned dunes or any golf course is just amazing to me. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, talk us through a little bit too, um, about that conditioning and kind of how you use it to motivate not only yourself, but maybe even others that, that look at it and say, wow, you know, you really do kind of pursue this game of golf, even with that condition. So it's been very challenging for me because I'm a very strong individual and I, before this condition, I actually used to be a lot into fitness and bodybuilding. Um, and so I had to quit my bodybuilding uh, because of my condition. And so my body's changed. Unfortunately, I've, I've lost a lot of muscle and it's been challenging because my legs are too, my legs are really skinny and I don't have enough muscle and Unfortunately, I can't, I, I can't really build that. And so two years after playing golf, I was diagnosed with osteitis pubis. And so it's, it's a inflammation of the pubic symphysis. And 
where the bones meet meet with each other and there's a cartilage that separates them. Well, I have very little cartilage, so the bone rubs against each other. So whenever I walk, it, I, it you, you just get that friction back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so it affects my entire lower body. And so because the because my muscles are trying to protect that area, my hips, my legs, my glutes, my back all just get tight and sore and painful. And so I'm dealing with pain every day. And uh, it's just, it's very challenging because now that I've gone to almost scratch and every day is different for me when it comes to my body. So some days I wake up and I feel amazing. And some days I wake up and it's like, what the hell, you know, like I got to stretch more. I got to do something to be able to play golf today. And uh, it sucks because being a scratch golfer, now I'm shooting in the mid eighties because my body is not rotating or my body is hurting and I can't rotate or finish my swing. And like this year in the last month, I've, I've been struggling a lot with it the last two months and I've been in a, in a lot of pain and I've been trying to play golf. And each time that I've played golf, um, I've had to stop playing after like 13 holes or usually after the, or the back nine hits and like my back starts hurting my hips, my inner thighs. I mean, just everything starts hurting and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And so I'm getting to the point where I'm just going to be happy just to play golf. And I'm not really going to care what I score anymore. And it sucks because I like competing, as you know, and I like playing against guys. So it's like all bets are off <laughs> today. We have a front nine wager. The back nine is wash and the overalls wash. Just the front nine wager the, today. <laughs> I'm going to need strokes on the back nine. <laughs> My handicap just went up. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, you know, I think it's what's really awesome is there's a there's a bigger underlying message there too. And, you know, the greater love for the game is, is why you play and why you want to inspire others. Um, I saw you just kind of created a, a YouTube within the last month or so. Um, and obviously with your Instagram, you're always out there kind of promoting the game in some sort of way. Um, you know, what's a lasting message you can kind of give to not only women, but men who maybe want to start the game later in life and, and are maybe skeptical about kind of making that leap into the game. Um, I think for women, Uh, I'm a single mom of two girls. I have two teenage daughters, uh, 15 and 17. And I think for a lot of women, they get into the mindset that they become parents, moms, and that they don't have time to take up a new sport. And I always think that if you take care of yourself, of your body, then you're able to take care of your family. If you do something that you love, then you're able to take care of your family and give them that time and attention that they deserve. And it's just, for me, I usually spend one or two hours of the day just taking care of myself, whether it's exercising or hitting balls on the range. And then, you know, if I play golf, great. If I don't, it's not a big deal. Uh, So I think it's just taking the time to do something that you love and just sticking with it. Golf is something that's, it's very, very, it's a very difficult sport, uh, but it's definitely doable. I mean, the way I say it is if I can do it, you can do it too. And, you know, having kids, having a condition. And uh, I always say, if you're going to get into golf, 
take lessons at least once a month. Or nowadays, you don't even have to take lessons. You, you can get on Instagram or YouTube, and there's so many accounts that are giving great advice, great drills. And um, those are some really good accounts to follow. And uh, the other thing is practice, practice, practice. And you don't have to go to the range to practice. You can practice at home. As a matter of fact, I have a club and an alignment stick right here in my bedroom. So if I'm watching TV and I'm not doing anything, I get up and I practice my swing plane. (laughs) (laughs) Something, I do something, but I have clubs all over my house. So therefore, when I get the itch to try something new, I just grab it and just practice. And I always say, you can practice for 10, 20 minutes a day at home. You don't have to go, you don't have to go to the range. I love that. And that's, that's, that's what's awesome. The sign of a true golf nut is a a wedge in one corner of the living room, a putter (laughs) in the bedroom and a five iron somewhere else in the house. Um, You know, you know, they've got the bug when, uh, when that's (laughs) happening. And and I love that you're on the same page there. Yes. Awesome. I'm sure we could, uh, we could go on for hours and hours, but uh, I think we'll, we'll cut it off there and, and maybe bring you back on some other time to, you know, talk some other Avenue of the game. And, and, uh, but I really appreciate the time tonight. Thanks again for joining us Um, guys check her out um golf mommy on instagram m-a-m-i um and then we are a sunday bag fanatic uh we love everything and anything about sunday bags we've had interviews uh with the the, the guests on the podcast today steve stir from sunday golf bag and hopefully uh, if we can have tyler from tyler's golf bags on the show today um but what we're going to get into is I think the the mentality behind the Sunday bag, what it means in today's industry and kind of what it's always meant to the game. Um, and so really excited to have Steven Stir from Stir Golf Bags uh, on the show. Steven, really appreciate you joining us, man. Um, I'm excited to get into this topic of Sunday golf bags. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, uh, it, it's kind of all based from, I guess, a, a, an industry uh, leader uh, taking an attempt at, uh, at rating some golf bags. And, and it, it brought some attention to what is truly a Sunday golf bag, right? And I think let's dive into that history because I know you spent some time in the industry. Um, from, yeah. from your knowledge, what, what's always been that quote unquote Sunday bag? All right. Typically, everything that I've designed in the last, you know, 38 years, right, that was a Sunday bag was generally a, a bag that had a single strap and a, a one ball pocket. Right. So it was something that you could just load a few things in. And, and if you really look back at history, I mean, there, there weren't any golf bags until like what the early 1800s uh, folks carried the you know, clubs around under their arm, you know, when they had a caddy or whatever. And then, uh, you know, bags started to pop up and all these stovepipe bags started to get into, you know, like local uh, shops around Europe and, and, and over here in the United States. And they were, you know, generally about six inches in diameter, had a single pocket, single strap. And, you know, people would, uh, back then, they didn't use uh, full sets of clubs, right? So they'd have, you know, a mashie and a niblick and a putter and, a, and a, a, you know, some sort of wood and, and they'd go out and play golf. Uh, and then, you know, it kind of rolled over into the uh, 1900s here in the United States. And that's really where the Sunday golf bag really came into uh, play. Uh, what really happened was that um, caddies didn't work on Sundays. So when you went to the course to play golf, uh, you didn't have a caddy. So there, you didn't have somebody to pack your clubs around for you. Uh, and what would happen at that point would be uh, you'd, you'd pack a half a set, you'd throw it into a small bag with a single pocket, uh, throw a few balls in there and go out and carry your own clubs. 
and um, hence the name Sunday Golf Bag. It was used <laughs> on Sunday to pack around a small set of clubs. And today we call Sunday Golf Bags Sunday Golf Bags because people want to carry around a partial set of clubs and a um, few balls, some tees and, and whack it around and have a good time. Well, how fitting, right? We're recording this on Sunday um, and, and talking about those Sunday golf bags. And something, I, I guess, that is maybe a, a misunderstood part of what all that means to truly design a Sunday golf bag. You know, you see a lot of the OEMs taking stabs at it, but not really executing to what a true or uh, I guess you could even say a historically uh, looking like Sunday golf bag uh, typically mm-hmm. takes form, you know. Talk us through what you've seen in the past maybe decade or decade and a half um, to how the industry's stance on this Sunday bag has, has transitioned into what they now produce. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you really look at the history of bags, they were smaller than they got really big because, you know, carts started to exist. Uh, so over time, everybody transitioned to a larger and larger and larger bag so they could just load it up with a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of product balls, you know, tees, all kinds of stuff. So you don't have to, you know, build it out every morning. Uh, and then, you know, I got in the business actually in 1981 and everything was huge. I mean, just big giant vinyl and leather golf bags. Um, and we started producing a lot of bags for a lot of companies like Ben Hogan and uh, McGregor and uh, Rawlings and Mizuno where we would make um, like the, like the, uh, there was no bag called the Hogan Sunjet. It was just a a small seven inch bag had a three-way divider, one pocket on the front and a single little rounded handle plate, like the bag that we make today uh, with a single strap, right? Uh, Really didn't, you know, double straps and and stands, you know, stands came along in the uh, early eighties. I designed stands for Miller golf bags and several other golf companies uh, right after uh, Sun Mountain came out with their stand. And, you know, we started kind of working around their patents Uh, and then, uh, I had the second dual strap that I licensed to 17 golf clubs uh, and patented that in 1991. Uh, so, you know, I really, I really have a lot of background in, in, you know, stretching the technology for golf bags, but truly, if you really want to go back to it, what I'm doing today is really what I enjoy uh, is making something that's handmade one at a time, uh, you know, on a sewing machine in my garage for, you know, in the United States for everybody to use and carry around and just be proud of. Absolutely. And, and I think something you touched on there that, you know, is maybe people's focus point when they talk about Sunday bags, like Sunday bags don't have to be the one of ones that like yourself is making or other brands like no. kind of off bags mm-hmm. is making customs. It, it, it's more the, the, I guess, form it takes rather than actually how yeah. it's made or who makes it. Yeah. And I think that the, the best ones are, you know, people like us and Tyler and uh, McKenzie and McDonald and the flag bag and, um, I mean, there's, oh, Seamus. I mean, you know, these bags are collapsible. They're small. They weigh a couple of pounds. They're easy to, they're easy to carry. Uh, they don't, you know, they don't hurt your back in the morning the next day after you've played. Uh, you know, th- these folks are all doing a really good job of, 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 of making, you know, product like we make it, right? We can't make a lot of product because we don't have a lot of production capacity. So we try to just make as much as we can. And, you know, like I was telling you earlier, we're, you know, we're out eight weeks. So, you know, we'll, we'll, make, we'll make bags for people as long as they want them. And, you know, we'll go from there and see how it works out. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to think, you know, folks like yourself and and I know um, Tyler's golf bags and even Mackenzie golf bags, Jones bags, they're, they're 
almost out to their limits as far as what they can produce. And, and, you know, even for the bigger guys, they're out to their limits, which means there's a lot of people interested in this Sunday bag market right now. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were able to just get into this business, you know, last year in March. I mean, we, you know, we were just making leather goods, right. And um, you know, wallets and backpacks and satchels and things like that. And uh, once the pandemic hit and, and people started getting back into golf, we, we started making these bags about a year ago. It's just been a huge success. We've been really, really happy with the outcome. Uh, and, you know, every year in January and early February, it's a little slow because, you know, it's just that time of year when, when it's cold and especially this year with a bad winter, but uh, we're actually starting to get orders again. We had several orders this week and, and we'll be making bags again next week. Hopefully it'll warm up enough in the garage to do that. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I know you guys have been in a little uh, deeper freeze than I think anyone's expected down there in Kentucky, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I can only hope for warm weathers for you as well. Yeah. So let, let's talk about too. I, I think one thing we wanted to touch on it and maybe just uh, is why, why, why these bigger brands, why these bigger conglomerates maybe confuse the two, right? Like why they confuse what they think is a Sunday to what truly is a Sunday bag. We see a lot in the market uh, of what they consider a Sunday now being, you know, something with a stand, something with a, you know, 10, 12 dividers, like we had talked about before we hopped on the show. You know, what do you think that biggest misconception is when people label something a Sunday that's not truly that Sunday carry bag? Uh, maybe it's just all education. Um, you know, I mean, they're writers for, um, publications and maybe they just don't have enough history and really understand what, what really, you know, constitutes a true Sunday bag. Um, you know, I mean, stand bags, like I said, stand bags have been around for, um, you know, since the eighties and, and, the, and dual straps have been around since the you know late eighties, early nineties. Um, and I guess that's just become the norm and maybe, you know, uh, just because they're smaller and they're made out of light, lighter weight materials, they feel like that's a Sunday bag. Um, so I, I guess that's all I can really think of is, you know, that's kind of um, their misconception. And, uh, and I think it's all through education. We can educate people and talk to them as much as we want about it. But, you know, I think the, the bigger effort is going to be um, uh, our push in social media, yours, mine, um, you know, people like Lesson 14, Rep the Step. I mean, all these people that are out there uh, really pushing for, you know, people playing with partial sets of clubs and really enjoying the game and getting out for that walk, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, mm -hmm. not only just the, the pushing of this mentality, I think this mentality or this kind of Sunday culture, as a lot of people have dubbed it, are really pushing the limits of how can people play golf and, and how many people can join the game, right? Like if you have less than 14, you don't need to go out and buy that couple hundred dollar set of clubs. You can have kind of this piece together set if you want to go to Goodwill or if you want to go mm -hmm. and, and get a, a club here, a club there, you can piece together the set and hey, all of a sudden, all right, I got five or seven clubs. Let's go play around. Let's go play the local Muni and, and walk and carry our clubs. And, you know, a lot of places have very cheap greens fees when it comes to walking. So another, you know, mentality of just getting people who may not be able to afford the full round with a, with a cart to get out there and walk and carry their clubs. There, there's a lot more that people maybe miss, I think, as far as why this, this culture of Sunday carry and rep the step. And like you said, lesson 14 has really caught on. I think it speaks to the greater good of, of why and how people can pick up this game for a little bit less money than what used to be involved. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the millennials that are out there, they're getting into the game now. I mean, you know, there, there's so many people getting in this game. I mean, you just listen on the golf channel and to, you know, people that I talk to still that I know in the industry. I mean, their, their sales are up, you know, 400%, you know, just last year. It's crazy. Uh, you know, and I've, I've follow all kinds of folks on Facebook and Instagram that are, that are actually finding clubs at the Goodwill and splitting them up and selling a half a set. I mean, it's, it's a really awesome subculture to be involved in. Right. Because I mean, people are out there just really trying to get their friends into this game. And uh, you know, you just see it all the time. It's like, Hey, I found this good set of uh, old Hogan, uh, you know, apex clubs at the Goodwill today. Uh, How about you buy all the odds from me? And I paid, you know, $5 a piece for each club. So uh, you know, for 30 bucks uh, and you can go find a wood someplace you can get into the game. Right. Yeah, and with the with that and with the pandemic, I mean, it almost when courses open, that's all you could do is walk. So you got a lot of golfers out there who don't necessarily like to walk, who like to take carts, and they're trying to figure out, well, how am I going to how am I going to make this work? And you know, you look at like, I mean, you look at the you look at the stand bags and you look at the cart bags today. They are just oversized. They are just massive. Mm -hmm. They're huge. So, I mean, even like taking half a set of clubs and fitting that in that Sunday pencil bag doesn't necessarily mean you have to take half a set of clubs. I know guys, I know myself take a full set of clubs and it kind of comes down to just the the weight factor. I mean, you're taking a huge factor of weight. Like Mm -hmm. you don't realize how strenuous for like two to like three to four or five pounds really is on top because that's how much normally if you look at all these major oem bags these stand bags um per se the the specific dual strap backpack carry ones they're around three to five pounds that's not including the weight of your clubs now if you go out and you can don't mind not using a stand and or if you get the trestle sticks or whatnot you carry the sunday bag i mean you're talking you're taking that five pounds out of the question and it's 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 mind-blowing the fact when you take out a Sunday bag and just carry your clubs like that, how much weight is lifted off your shoulders when you're out playing 18. That's the stuff, one shot at a time. Excited to have Liz Breed here on the show. Liz played her college golf down in Kentucky, uh, but better known for having her home in the Franklin County area where I also grew up and where we uh, stem back to a little couple fist bumps there. Um, Liz, Liz, happy to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to be here and, you know, chat about some old times because everybody likes to reminisce about when they were 13 to 15. (laughs) Everybody loves that. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you speed through that. I'll let you off the hook there. Um, Let's start at Kentucky golf and move forward from there. How exciting was it to get to play D one golf? And then what has the life been like after D one golf and kind of, you know, chasing the, chasing the dream of uh, playing in the LPGA? Yeah. So I, you know, I was, I was lucky that my parents put a golf club in my hand when I was really little. So for me, I started to realize that, okay, I was, pretty good when I was like 12 and 13. And so when it came time for me to, you know, look for colleges and stuff like that, everybody always says like, you just know when you're at the right school, you know, like you'll just, you'll feel it in your bones. And my moment when I knew I needed to go to Kentucky was when um, I was on my recruiting trip. And at first I thought it was kind of random because I mean, Kentucky, it's not like, I don't, I feel like nobody dreams about moving to 
the state of Kentucky from Pennsylvania <laughs> of all places too, you know? So, um, but so I was invited to take a recruiting trip there and we saw, we went to a basketball game, of course. And it was when DeMarcus cousins and John wall were on the team. And I was like, okay, so I'll sign right now. <laughs> so I did. Um, but it was funny how, you know, I did have that experience of like, holy shit, like I need to be here. Like, this is the school I want to perform for and, you know, all that stuff. So um, I loved it. And truly, like, I, I actually stayed in Lexington for like two years after I graduated because I just, I loved it so much. It was so easy. I had a great practice facility, but, you know, playing division one golf, especially in a big powerhouse conference like the SEC, you know, I couldn't imagine, like, I couldn't imagine being at, you know, a smaller school or a school that didn't have resources or things like that, because, you know, it's, yeah, like, of course, you have to work hard as a student athlete, but there are also so many opportunities that happen just because you choose that school, you know, just because of the being able to, you know, go through the alma mater list and, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, Kentucky golf was, it was a great time. And, you know, I, I also was able to play a lot, you know, I didn't, I was able to pretty much have an immediate impact, um, you know, as a freshman. And that was really important for me because I didn't want to, <laughs> what am I going to do? Watch other people play? No one no. likes sitting the bench. I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to sit on the bench. I mean, I did a couple times, but that's okay. Kentucky, um, Kentucky golf is just so underrated in my opinion. Oh yeah, like because yeah, because so I'll probably get ridiculed, but I call it Louisville. Uh, I used to go down there for work all the time. Yes, Um, I know it's Louisville. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's Louisville. Anyway, Kentucky golf because like that area too, right? So you're on, you're still Eastern time. Mm -hmm. So by the time, kind of like daylight it's not daylight saving anytime like when they you know you can push the clocks forward and you have all that sunlight mm-hmm. i remember times i was out on the course at like 9 30 at night and oh. the sun was still up but I mean, you could play so much golf and the courses out there are just phenomenal just like unreal because of like the the grass and all that and just kind of the area i think people need to they don't understand how underrated kentucky is when it comes to golf courses. Oh, it's, it's for sure. Like I, I, you know, made a joke that like people don't dream about moving from Pennsylvania to Kentucky, but it is such a beautiful place and you know, yeah. Bluegrass and you know, you got like all these horse farms and all that stuff. But in terms of golf, it has some of the best topography in the country. So you have these natural rolling Hills and just like great turf to work with. I mean, one of my favorite courses of all time two of them are in Lexington. It's Lexington country club, really old school, like super tight, really fast, small greens. It's amazing. And then right down the road is it's called idle hour country club and super old club, kind of the same, you know, like really thick, rough, really narrow fairways, really small greens. But, um, they used to be a sectional site for the U S open. And I think the last year was, well, the last year was when my senior year of school. So 2014, and it was the shortest uh, yardage. Like it was the shortest on paper yardage, but it had the highest qualifying site, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> it's both of those courses are two of those courses. You look at, and you're like, oh, these don't look so bad. And then you're four over at the turn and you're like, 
what what just happened? Like, you know, it's yeah, Kentucky golf. I mean, and that's just in Lexington alone. Like in Paducah, you know, there's Old Stone, there's in Louisville, obviously, you know, but uh, yeah, Kentucky golf is, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And the actual golf teams are also really good. Like the men's program goes under the radar every single year and they're phenomenal. And the women's program has definitely had, um, I'm not going to say it's highs and lows, but you know, it's definitely been a work in progress starting from when I was in school. I signed under an initial coach and then she actually left the program. And then, so I ended up playing under a different coach that came from LSU. Her name's Golda Borst. And she, I mean, she just, she made me the best player that I could possibly be. You know, like it, it, it is one of those experiences. If I went back and did it, I probably wouldn't graduate because I couldn't imagine like going to school one, <laughs> two, <laughs> just trying to get all the other things done, you know, it's, it's just crazy. But obviously, you know, when you're 18, you're just like, this is great. This is my <laughs> you're, life. You're almost a deer in the headlights. And I, I love the way you put it. Um, you can't imagine doing it any other way, but the, the new coach made you the best player possible. And I want to kind of talk about that real quick too. You know, what was the day to day like at a D one program and how did it kind of structure you to become that best player possible? Yeah. So day-to-day in season, um, well, we would start our week Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had a workout either at 6am or 7am. So we would always rotate with the boys team. So one semester, they'd be 6am, one semester, we'd be 6am, you know, kind of flip-flop. But um, so you're already starting your day, like full immersion into whatever sport you're in, right? So you're already doing golf related workouts first thing in the morning. And then after that, of course, you clean up and, you know, go to your classes or whatever. Like typically our classes would get out at like noon or one, just so we could get out to the golf course by, you know, usually our our, um, practices started at either like two or three in the afternoon. So by the time you got out there, you know, it's like school is, is, you leave it behind, right? Like when you get out to your golf, whatever, whenever practice starts for you, it's like literally what our coach would do is she would give us a piece of paper with all of our drills that we had to do that day. If that's what we were doing, sometimes we would just go play, you know, sometimes there was a little bit of fluidity in that, but usually our practice were you get a piece of paper, she'll explain the drills to you and then you just go do it. And then when you're done, you can either start something else or go play a couple holes or work on the things that, you want to work on, you know, outside of what the coach assigns you. But, you know, um, I have always loved to play. And I think playing is also, I mean, like, yeah, of course, your fundamentals always have to be, you know, in the right spot. But when you're actually out on the golf course, you can really learn how to problem solve. And you can really learn how to uh, make par when par seems impossible. (laughs) Sometimes. But so she did a really good job of teaching us how to be honestly just tough, like just teaching you how to figure it out. But then also, you know, like she did a great job of, of kind of like lighting a fire under your ass. I mean, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I love the way you put it earlier too. There's no like perfect way to do it. And I think that's why we as golf fans love hearing 
every person's journey to professional golf in, in some way, shape or form. Cause it's always different. There's always little quirks and twists and turns that makes each story unique. And I think that's, you know, why we love hearing it so much. You know, you talked about host families, which I think is pretty cool and doesn't get talked about enough in the game of golf. What's a host family. And, and what does that look like on the week to week basis? So um, I don't know if you guys know the Gruder girls um, shout out to them. They're the, they're the best, but I spoke to them uh, maybe like three weeks ago at this point, And we talked about host families as well. And um, so host families for the people listening, if you have an opportunity to host a player, you should do it. It's the same thing I said when I was talking to them, like it is one, it creates such, well, one, it's just a cool experience, but two, it creates such a, sense of comfort for the player and also it saves the player a lot of money and stress and you know all things like that but yeah so basically hosting is you know let's say you're a member like uh, you're Dante your club you know you're a member up there and there's a Symmetra tour LPGA tour event they'll open up the membership to allow to allow the membership to host a player there are certain requirements like you know you can't be a single dude you can't be a creep you know you can't like there are certain there's definitely like rules or you know there's like seemingly reasonable uh, rules (laughs) yes yes um but yeah and then a player you know like usually what will happen is that the tour will send the player the contact information from the host and then it's up to the player to reach out to them now you know human nature you've met i met some weirdest shit people that were my host family (laughs) but then i've met people that i still keep in touch with today that are like sweet and amazing and nothing but supportive. And I've had host families turn into sponsors of mine, you know, people that helped me on my journey when I was playing full time. Um, but yeah, hosting can be weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's either like the coolest experience ever and they become best friends for life. And they're just like this really sweet, typically like usually older couple, or you think you're going to die that week and there's no in between. <laughs> yeah. There's no middle ground. It's hit or miss. <laughs> no no middle ground but you know regardless it always makes for a good conversation right and a better story one way or the other right yeah i was telling the girls um a couple weeks ago two stories i had um one of my host family's son i'm gonna keep it i'm not gonna name names but of course but Um, we were playing in a tournament and I had one of the early tea times. I had like an eight o'clock tea time. So I was up at like five in the morning and I was staying in their furnished basement area. So of course I had to come up the stairs to like put in my contacts and you know, all that. So use the bathroom and stuff. So I'm walking up the stairs and I hear people talking and I thought it was like, maybe my host mom's up watching the news. I had no idea. I was also awake for 15 seconds at this point. (laughs) I popped my head above the like stairs there's two cops inside the house and they're arresting her son because he was selling weed <laughs> he just like yeah no fuck yeah dude or 20 dude so he was selling weed and he was doing it in a public place and so obviously the cops came he ran and they just followed him home and he was just there and they were like hey you're under arrest and i just pop up from the like the downstairs and I was just like and of course the cops are like what are you doing here I'm like I'm just here to play golf like I haven't please like I haven't even put on deodorant like (laughs) let me live so that was a good 
whole story. And she ended up leaving her son there for the whole weekend because she's like, I'm going to teach him a lesson. And I was like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think learning anything from jail. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's what I was wondering. I was like, these cops probably think that I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Because, of course, her host son was like, this was 2017, 18, 17. So I was like 24. And her son is a freshman in college. And I was like, oh, my God, they probably think I'm like some crazy sugar mama or like I'm a kingpin behind this whole operation. Anyway, but then I've had um, host families that like I had this one guy. Um, it was a family in Illinois. We were playing a tour stop there. And I got there and he was like, do you want a beer? And I was like, yes, it'd be amazing. He ended up being a home brewer and he had this beer that he had made, which that was a whole conversation. He brought me a pint glass and I was like, what kind of beer is this? And he's like, oh, I made it. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Red alert, red alert. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. And it was super tasty and um, yeah, so his fam, the story or, you know, his history, I guess, was that his family were brewers, this whole, like, four generations prior or something, multiple generations prior, they were all brewers. And so he had like this home brew at home, it was like, it was great. They said like blue moon, but like with mango instead of, you know, orange, it was crazy. So you have wonderful experiences, or you have insane ones. And all the while you're supposed to try to play really good golf in between. Riddle that, right? Riddle that. That's that's, that's incredible. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I love the little tidbits like that too because I feel like a lot of folks don't know about the host families and how these tour pros, A, get from, you know, position A to B and, and how they make a living staying at different hotels or different host families or, or anything like that. So I always love to touch on little niches like that that people might not know about. And the funny thing is about hosting is that everybody has stories like me, you know, like it's definitely like a Murphy's law type deal where whatever happens, whatever can happen will happen. And that's basically what it's like playing professional golf. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, hosting it's, it's awesome. And, you know, obviously players have the, if, if players want to stay in a hotel or if they want to get an Airbnb, you don't have to stay in hosting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it makes for, great memories i love it i love it well you just said a quote which i love whatever will happen might happen will happen or something like that close to it talk us through the professional the time you played full-time professional what was like one or two stories from the time you played professional that that exemplified that statement of whatever might happen will happen buckle up um so my i'm gonna say my fun let me settle in for this story So I have got a really good one. Um, So I had a caddy, again, I'm going to censor this so nobody knows. I'm going to keep it top secret identity. But I had a caddy who um, unfortunately missed my tea time because he was in the, um, he was in jail. He got arrested. (laughs) Oh, so, oh yeah, dude. So I had a two o'clock tea time. And so I was hoofing it by myself. I was so, okay. So usually what I, I had been working with this caddy all season. He was awesome. Like, I don't need, this is another thing too about players. All players are different when it comes to their caddies. 
Some people like to know every single, you know, like what, how far away is that blade of grass? What do I have to clear the bunker? I like to just chit chat with my caddy and just make sure I'm not, you know, like, you know, like bumpers in, in bowling. <laughs> That's my caddy bumpers in bowling. And then just give me a number and just, you know, do whatever. I'll hopefully, you know, hit it to three feet every time. But so yeah, this caddy and I have been working together all season. Everything was great. So with these late tea times, what I'd like to do was meet at the golf course a few hours earlier, have some lunch, just get a feel for how we're feeling today, you know, kind of go through the game plan um, and then start a nice slow warm up. Like nothing, you know, it's not like in the morning when you're like, you know, you got to be um, up and at them really early. So our meeting time came and went and I was like, okay, we're, he's like 20 minutes late, never happened. I kept calling his cell phone straight to voicemail. I was like, shit, this dude's dead. Like, I, it was so bizarre. So then I was just like, fuck, like, I got to do something here. My tea time, like, he was not on the tea box during my tea time. And I was just like, okay. So I was carrying my own bag. And I was playing pretty well. I was like one under through eight. Like, under the circumstances, I was very okay with that. You were cruising. Thinking, <laughs> thinking that my, my caddy for the week was dead up until this point. Like, I had no, resp no response to the text message, nothing. So I'm on the eighth hole and I see like 300 yards away. I see a rules official. And I was like, oh, that's my fucking caddy. Like, I just knew it. I was like, so it's one of the caddies. That's a frequent, this was a Symmetra tour event. So she is always there. She's the best again, not going to name names. <laughs> so she brings my caddy and she was just like, Hey, do you want him on the bag? Or do you want to, you know, continue? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I, so my caddy gets out and he looked terrible. Like just like somebody who had spent the night in jail pretty much. Um, and so I was just like, look, dude, I don't, I don't want to know what happened. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're safe. We'll just go through this round as we normally do. We'll take it from here. So I missed the cut by one. <laughs> And I ended up, unfortunately, I ended up letting him go for it because it's just like, it was one of those things where I was just like, dude, you know, my hands were kind of tied here. Like I can't, obviously, like when you work with caddies, it's a, it's kind of like a weird marriage, you know, it's like a weird partnership, let's say that. So, you know, you really have to trust them with, I mean, you're trusting them for a shot that could potentially cost you five figures worth of money. So, you know, if, if that gets breached, it gets pretty hard, but. All right, guys, welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast. We're here live at East Lake inside the Boston Scott Apparel trailer. Um, pumped to have the director of golf on here at East Lake. Where to start, man? Property's incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's definitely not a, a bad place to come to every day. Uh, the one thing we have here is history, um, and that's any great golfer that you can ever think of is walk these fairways and play golf here. We talked a little bit about it when we did the intro to this place, and we drove in, sat up inside, saw the captain's room, saw the Arnold Palmer memorabilia, the Ryder Cup stuff, obviously long lineage of, of history in this place. What amazed me was, as I walked through and talked to people, 
it wasn't always what it is today. It was kind of went through some hardships, and I know you've been here for 15 years, and talk to me a little bit about what you've seen since you've been here of kind of the rise of, of Eastlake again, because it, it all, wasn't always that kind of place. Yeah, so originally we were the Atlanta Athletic Club, um, and we operated as, as athletic club until the late 60s when the whole area kind of took a turn for the worse. Crime was getting really bad. So the athletic club picked up and moved to where they are now in Johns Creek. Um, and a group of members stayed behind, bought this property from the athletic club, and we operated as Eastlake Country Club until the early 90s when Tom Cousins, who's a local real estate developer and philanthropist, um, grew up coming here and, and, and came to the area and said, you know, if I was born here now, I wouldn't have a chance. Um, so he invested a lot of his own money, bought the club, uh, hired Reese Jones to redesign the golf course to its original Donald Ross design. Um, the main floor of the clubhouse that you were in earlier today was condemned. You couldn't even go on that part. That's how bad it was. Um, so spent a lot of his own time and money and, and developed the East Lake Foundation, which goes back to the entire community. It's the engine that's kind of revitalized this whole area. So our slogan is golf with a purpose, and it's special to come to work every day have a purpose. You know, when you're playing golf and you're spending money here, it's going to a good cause. Um, we, we talk about golf with a purpose. We're here today because of the Jimmy V Foundation, the Kelly Obarski, 7th Annual Memorial. Um, when you see folks out here enjoying the golf course three, four weeks after PGA stops here at the Tour Championship, how cool is it to see both, both ends of the spectrum, right? Because you're seeing the greatest of the greats Play these, play these fairways, and, and then, then, and then the you're seeing the, the, well, then you're seeing the amateurs get out here and enjoy the same course. I think it's it's one of the coolest spots that you could possibly be in for the game of golf. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely great. Always fun to host a tour championship. When people come and play this golf course this time of year, they get a very good appreciation for just how good the tour players are. Sure. Um, when we have the rough up like we do now, and the greens are fast. Uh, it, it plays probably six, seven shots harder than it would even three, four months ago. So um, for most people, when they come out here, if they miss a fairway, they're hitting a wedge 40 yards back to the fairway because that's as far as they can advance it. So it's fun for us to get to share this, this property and this experience with a lot of people. Sure. Now, you were just talking before we before we hit record um, how it used to be kind of a corporate course, and it's no longer that. Touch on that a little bit of what really happens on the day-to-day -day here at East Lake, and, and what's the membership status, and, you know, what, what kind of goes on here at Eastlake on a day-to-day? -day? Yeah, we have a, a unique membership makeup, unlike most places in the country, I'd say. Um, when Tom Cousins bought the club, he gave everyone that was a member, an individual member up to that point an opportunity to stay on as a member um, and then started bringing in corporate memberships only. So for 20-something years, the only new members we had were corporations. Um, so it was a lot of a lot of unaccompanied corporate guest play, what we call it, just people bring clients out and things like that. And then two years ago, we started adding individual members again um, for the very first time since the mid-90s. So we've, we've added a bunch of those guys, and it's really changed the dynamic of the club. Uh, the new member, our old members are great, and the new members are great. The membership here really just supports everything that we do. And I think if you're a member at Eastlake, you understand the importance of giving back to the Sure, and, and touch on that too a little bit of how the Eastlake Foundation and Eastlake specifically does give back to the community because I think that's one of the greatest parts of what is going on here at Eastlake. 
Yeah, I mean, when, when Mr. Cousins came in here in the mid-90s, um, there wasn't even a grocery store in the neighborhood. So if you lived in the neighborhood, you didn't have anywhere to buy healthy food at a reasonable price. So they partnered with Publix, you know, 1995, whenever that was, and brought them in. And that was kind of the first step. It was like, all right, if we're going to have people living here, they got to have a grocery store. Like, right. you wouldn't even think about that. Um, and they tore down the old housing project the city had built and built a mixed-income uh, apartment community, which was half of it is uh, market rate and half of it is Section 8. Uh, and the idea behind that is if your neighbor's getting up and going to work every day, that's going to be a good influence on you. Um, and they have so many programs they've developed over the years. The, you know, the Drew Charter School was the first charter school in the city of Atlanta. Um, a lot of that was funded by us and our operations. The Tour Championship has been huge in the amount of money they've donated to the community um, since they started coming here first in 1998. Um, so now the Drew Charter School has, goes all the way from pre-K up to college. The golf team, they just had the first all-African-American um, team to win a state championship in boys golf, which That's was awesome. re really cool. Uh, and the kids are they're one of the, it's basically one of the best schools in the state now and the kids are going to school and they're going to georgia tech i mean i wouldn't be able to get into half the schools these guys are going to it's incredible to think of that a golf course and a community and a membership can have that kind of impact right like when we talk about especially when it's golfers talking to someone else like a lot of folks don't understand the impact a golf course or a golf club can have on a, a greater community and i think the perfect example of that is here at east lake um, it, it's incredible to see just the outreach that you guys can pour into a community. Obviously, the Tour Championship having a, a pretty great uh, kind of catalyst event here that, that really puts the, the, the gas on the fire, per se. But um, to see golf impact in a greater aspect like that is really incredible. Yeah, it is. And there are plenty of people from across the country that have come here and replicated this model at other places with the help of Tom Cousins, the Eastlake foundation um, that actually spun off into purpose-built schools was kind of something a program they did to help other communities across the country and not everybody necessarily has a, a golf course to be the economic engine um, but they have three pillars that they think are the, the foundation for this program to be replicated and they've done it you know, I think up to 20 something cities across the country it's incredible um, we'll pivot a little bit because we're enjoying the walk podcast we love talking about walking the course there's no cars here on the course, I think it's one of the most incredible things here. Let's talk the caddy program for a little bit. Uh, I was reading online, you guys have sometimes close to 100 or more caddies. Um, what does that do for jobs in the area? Caddy, the, this caddy program is very robust compared to a lot of other places in the country. It is. Um, we average probably 80 on staff throughout the year. Um, we do have golf carts, we only have five. Uh, and most <laughs> of the time, it just gets used by the staff. So we require everyone to take the caddy. And what that does for us is mainly we can provide enough work for our caddies that they can do this full time. Um, we do have some kids from the First Tee program that come in and caddy in the summer when they have uh, free time to do so. But a lot of our guys, this is what they do year round. Um, and they're actually employees of the club here in East Lake. Where most places they're independent contractors. Here they're employees of the club and, and that leads to a myriad of things that we can do that we think provides a better experience to our members and guests because the caddies work more often, uh, they feel like they're a part of the club, uh, and they develop relationships with all the members. So yeah. it's it's a very robust but great caddy program. There's 
That's awesome. I mean, you know, when you look out and see the course, it's there, there's places that you can tell carts run, and there's places that you can tell they don't. Um, and when you just look out over the property, we had a drone up in the air earlier today. And just looking out over the property, it's it's pristine, and I think a lot of that is because of the caddy program and only walking. So uh, we love that. That's pretty near and dear to our hearts. Um, Touching back on the event here today, you know, being able to give back to these kind of charitable organizations, it seems like it's in the bloodline of what Eastlake does, being able to give back. Um, when you have organizations come here like this, you get to welcome, you know, people who might not have even been here before. Um, how does it feel to really kind of put on a show at Eastlake and really show what Eastlake is all about to strangers? We, we take pride in it, for sure. Um, I mean, we, we run events all the time. We almost want to run everything from start to finish. So when we have an event like this that we, we're hosting, we want to do everything. It's kind of rely on us. Sure. You know, we want to control and provide the best experience possible from the moment your guest comes through that gate to the moment they leave. We want it to be the best golf experience they've ever had, and that is everything from the valets to the caddies to the golf shop to the food and beverage, um, how friendly the staff is. And we take great pride in putting on events and showcasing our golf course. Well, it shows, man. I mean, even when we were welcomed into the gates here, um, the hospitality was incredible. Uh, we didn't even know where we were going to set up because of the rain and stuff this morning. Um, as you know, folks will see later. We've got the we've got the awning out. We're we're kind of hanging out, and the, and the rain has stopped. But um, the, the the staff worked with us really well this morning to be hospitable to us. So it's much appreciated, yeah. man. Um, appreciate the time. Uh, as we look forward to wrapping up this event, getting in, getting some dinner. Uh, I know you guys will. Uh, be the best in the business. So thanks again for the time. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule today because I know you guys got a lot going on. So. Absolutely. It's uh, happy to be here and talk about Eastlake anytime. So awesome. thanks for having me on. As always, guys, you can get out there, carry your clubs, and enjoy the walk. Awesome, man. Shut